0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com.
1: All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Have a seat, and the kids can
1: be dismissed to their class.
0: Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Some of you all are like, uh, came with a friend for the first time, and you're like, I didn't know what I was getting into. this is wild. Um, we're continuing a series called "Redeeming Relationships." Today we're talking about sex. It's tough to It's tough to talk about relationships without talking about that topic. And so, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to say so many words, <laughs> um, but not nearly enough. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thanks for the ways that you shape us for your glory. Um, Thanks for the ways that you meet us wherever we are, broken, delighted, anywhere in between. And God, specifically for this day, as we kind of just in some low-key way celebrate the the fact that the Village Church has existed for 14 years, what a wild thing. Um, Thanks for hearing my prayers and the prayers of so many that we might be in a room like this, just doing what the local church does singing songs to you and about you, praying, sitting under your word together, responding, taking communion together. What a gift. Thanks for sustaining us. Would you let your word and your words shine bright today? In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome to the sex talk. I remember being 10 years old sitting in my living room, watching Beverly Hills 90210. My parents were in the room, and I remember uh, Mr. Walsh, that's Brenda and Brandon's dad, Mr. Walsh. He, uh, he said to then teenage Brandon Walsh, something about women or girls, or like, you know, some whatever, some cultural thing uh, that teenagers need to hear about sex or whatever. And I remember, like it was yesterday, Brandon Walsh, like looking at the camera almost, and he said, "He said, Dad, I know we had that talk when I was 10 years old." And I remember, like, <gasps> and I looked over to see if my parents were like paying attention because I was 10 years old, and I was like, "I that's the last thing I want to talk about with my dad." Um, and so, man. Uh, I know this meets us in different places, and, and some of you may have been looking forward to this. And I know from your text this week, and, and the amount of times that I heard particular songs, even this morning, like, like there's this song that says, uh, let's talk about sex, baby, let's talk about you and me, and I've heard it today several times, um, more than I've ever heard it since like 1997. It's wild. Um, but, but I also know that, that some of you stayed home today because there's no way you can sit in a room where you know that this is what I'll be talking about for, you know, an hour. I want to set the table for us today. I know that this meets us in different places, and some of you are are merely curious of unknowns, and some of you are disgusted by your experiences, and some of you are Uh, you you feel guilty about your desires or your lack of desires. And and some of you never think about sex at all. And some of you, that's all that you can ever think about. And it's always on your mind. And I know that some of you are satisfied. And I know some of you are dissatisfied. And I know some of you are married. And some of you are unmarried. And some of you wear lenses of sin and suffering and shame. And I know some of you have secrets that haunt. And some of you, when we talk about this, you have, have treasures that delight. Right? This meets us in different places, and some of you are engrossed in sexual sin that consumes your thoughts. It even breaks through, and it wreaks havoc on any form of healthy relationship that you have. And I know some of you have different expectations than your spouse, and so there might be guilt or there might be frustration. Some of you have different expectations with your dating partner that challenges you and your walk with the Lord or challenges them and their walk with the Lord. I know some of you have loads of experience, and some of you l- lament your lack of experience. And I know some of you are hoping for tips today, and that's not what we're doing. <clears throat> and I know some of you already wish that I would stop talking. As a preface, I-, I can't preface every single thing that I'm going to say today, and I wish that I could. But I, I do want to throw up one slide if uh, the next slide, if you're at a place to where you want to reach out to someone for real, we are mindful of that and, and we will handle that confidentially. If you're a woman, you want to talk to a woman, we can get you connected appropriately. Um, you can email women at myvillagechurch.com or men, email men at myvillagechurch.com because we know that although there are certainly opportunities for jokes and lightheartedness, we also know that this meets you, um, some of you in places that are, are not that way and so as an encouragement, the, the main idea that we're talking about today is this. Sex is from God to be enjoyed as God has designed. and And all I'm doing is painting a picture with several scriptures today, like yeah, we're just going to look at a, a lot of scripture and, and tease it out a bit. And the first thing, these are basically the three points. And so the first point is this, sex is from God. And that means that it has a purpose that is from God. Sex is from God. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. And this is what he says in the beginning of the book, right? The beginning of the first chapter of the Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything, every fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that that is a creature upon the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. See, God could have multiplied his glory and his dominion over all the earth for all time through, you know, asexual reproduction processes. Things that produce, that reproduce just by themselves, maybe on a cellular level or whatever. He could have done that. Or, or he could have multiplied his, his glory and dominion over all creation by, by putting a, a king's throne or a scepter ruling from the clouds. But he didn't do that. God chose to see it through that that his living creation that he made was overseen and ruled generation after generation by the fruitful multiplication of humanity joining joining together in God-ordained commitment, two humans together physically, spiritually, and practically operating as one. God's plan to multiply his glory and his rule on the earth was that a man and woman would have sex. That was his plan from the very beginning. The fruit of that most vulnerable act would be multiplication of his glory for all the earth. So remember, God made Adam, and he he sat him in the garden. He made all these other things, and and he named all the creatures, but there was not found a helper fit for him. That's what we read. Not found a helper fit for him. And the word helper, uh, we hear this all the time. God is referred to as helper in the Old Testament. So this isn't some, this class deal he, was, he had not found a suitable mate to walk with him through this life. God made woman from Adam's rib. And then we read in Genesis 2 23, then man said, and This is wild. The first thing that Adam says when he sees his woman, when he sees the first woman that's ever been, is poetry. He speaks in poetry. So out the gate, Adam was aiming to impress, right? This at last, and I'm sure it sounds better in the original language, but this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then we read this, this commentary from the Lord. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's a load in that. In this act, a physical expression of the unity intended for marriage. Two become one. This is part of the divine design where sex unites in a way no other act does. One says it this way. A union between two, so profound that they virtually become a, single, uh, a new single person. The word united, or, or to cleave as some translate, to make a binding covenant. It is the binding of every aspect of their life together. It is a merger into one single legal, social, economic unit. They lose much of their independence. In love, they donate themselves to one another wholly. So, If, if marriage feels hard, it's the rub against that reality. That, that we're still fighting for our own autonomy when we've given ourselves in, in, a, in an intimate way to laying down some of us. That's from uh, Tim Keller in The Meaning of Marriage in chapter 8, his own sex. Um, in a world where sex is normal, even for the, the youngest teenagers, where, where phrases like sex positive hijack words like promiscuous, to scream loudly the indiscriminate and casual sex, uh, that it is something to be prized as individual freedom, as individual self-expression, rather than the sacred, intimate nature that it was made for, one man, one woman, for keeps. In a world where the marketing tactic sex sells Literally impacts everything. And I mean everything from the news to advertising campaigns to perfume to clothing to video games to, to, to trying to sell movie tickets and cars and beers, not to mention. The billions spent on just blatant pornography. And all those things are just exploiting the foundations and the roots of sex. And it exposes this this onslaught to make sex anything other than what it is. Sex sells its purpose cheap. Sex sells its practice cheap. Sex sells its limits cheap. That's the world that we live in. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But even in a world where sex is cheap, casual, and and nothing to give away, still, the most vile forms of abuse, the most hated forms of assault, the, the worst of the worst of all sins and sinners are those who commit unwarranted, unconsensual sexual acts against another. See, this world, outside of God's people, outside of God's rule and reign, as they see things, this world, it rides a ridge of inconsistency a thousand ways. And sex is no exception. See, it's nothing prideful boasting about giving it out like candy on Halloween. And it's everything. The worst of the worst when misused where the world draws its line. See, we sit in the unique position of seeing the design. Us in this room, we get to open this book and we get to see the design unchanging. The unchanging purpose that that squares both of those ditches up. when, When used as design, it is beauty untold. And when used improperly, heartache and pain and the worst of the worst of injustice and indecency, indecency and, and, and sin that, to be clear, will give account. For all the injustice that you've experienced that you've seen, God is not silent, He is not blind, nor is he deaf. Sin will be judged appropriately and accordingly. In this life, maybe, maybe not. In the end of these days, the judgment and the full wrath and the the perfect justice of the Lord poured out on all who live this way, or the full wrath for that sin poured out on Christ and his cross. Justice will be served. See, the purpose of expression, the solidarity of two into one is, is one of the things that makes even the most casual relationship more complicated. I remember uh, my freshman year in college, I was at a Christian school, and I remember the, the RD got all the guys together, and he gave us this you know sex talk or whatever. And he said, sex complicate thing, complicates things, even when you're married. And I was like, what is he talking about? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm married now. Right? Sex complicates things because this world tries to keep itself by giving itself away. It tries to keep itself by giving itself away. It tries to feed its void by creating void. It tries to abstain from vulnerability by joining in the most vulnerable way and expecting that heartstrings won't get attached. Sex is powerful by design, and what God has joined together, let not man separate. And then we have here, we read on in Genesis, and the man and his wife were both naked, check it out, and and they were not, ashamed. Can you imagine? They were naked and not ashamed. The innocent state of Adam and Eve in the garden before God and one another was as vulnerable of a state as any two can be. Right? Like on the on the lighter side of things, like some of our worst nightmares are like getting on a school bus in our underwear, right? And and we're like uh embarrassed and insecure, and 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 that's just like the worst thing and merely just being seen by others in this state. There's a show on uh Discovery or something, Naked and Afraid. It's been on forever, I think. There's a show Naked and Afraid, and and not only is that The worst idea I have ever heard in my entire life. I mean, bugs. I mean, you're in the woods with a complete stranger of the opposite sex, and you are completely naked, and you're supposed to—I don't know—survive for days, weeks. I don't know. I—I don't know. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. But not only is it the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life, gosh, I would never, ever do that. Why would you do that? But it is the way that many Christians feel about sex, even when they are married naked and afraid. So you've been told to avoid sex at all costs, it's bad. Don't be like the world, don't give away what you can't get back and then in the twinkling of an eye after a 30 minute ceremony, exchanging rings, vows, wine, cake, it's suddenly supposed to be the greatest gift received on your wedding day or wedding night no matter how great your new toaster or air fryer or serving dishes. This is supposed to be better. In premarital counseling stuff, Kim and I always talk about the idea that Hollywood really messes up stuff, like pop culture really messes up any notions that we have for sex, even in just like, gosh, even in like prime time Television stuff. It just, it, it undermines and it really messes up uh, what we say uh, the sex expectations of a new husband and wife. From performance to frequency to location. Like, if you just watched movies and shows, you would think that like, your life was going to be wild, right? And maybe yours is, but like, uh, th- there are ways that, that, that Hollywood and, and pop culture in general just like destroys the intimacy of what this is supposed to be like. And and I think the church has done a pretty bad job as well, um, maybe well-intending uh, at preparing married couples for the joyful, if not clumsy, if not satisfaction of God-honoring sex. And this is the only personal story that I will tell today. Kim's like, <gasps> oh, gosh. I just remember, you know, Kim and I got married really young, and, and we just remember like, this has been like off limits our whole life, and it was just it was just a, a little difficult to like get used to this being okay. Like it just felt it just felt wrong, and yet like this is this is this is good. And, and if you're unmarried or, or if you're you're young or or whatever, like I hope that changes for you today. Like, sex isn't dirty. It's it's from the Lord, and the world corrupts it, and makes it all sorts of things that it shouldn't be. But sex is not a dirty thing. Um, uh, I read this week that, that Christianity is the most body positive movement that the world has ever known. Like like God created us bodily with 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 physicality, and and God Himself took on flesh in the incarnation, Jesus. The, the, the creator of all, the, the agent in creation, he showed up and he, and he put on a, a flesh suit, he put on a, a body just like ours. And, and he died and he rose again with a, with a body, a, a resurrected body. And, and one day, whether we die or we're taken up in glory in the, the twinkling of an eye, we will put on a body eternally. If this isn't a safe place to talk about intimacy that's purposed by God, then, then the world gets to define the purpose of sex for our kids, for our spouses, for our self. And, and, It's it's just too important to let that happen, to continue letting the world have the last word or the loudest voice. Like, Like the world out there would have you believe that sex was designed or at least refined and perfected by the world for liberal use and personal gain without consequence. That is not true. Because sex is from God for a purpose, we are free to have this chat. We are free to talk about it publicly or, or, or as a family or, or with our kids appropriately because if we hide it and we treat it as a bad thing, then this act designed by God will be robbed of its good pleasure and will rob even married couples of the deepest, most intimate opportunities that they have available. Naked and not ashamed. What beauty Nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to achieve, nothing to be insecure about because in his eyes she is completely secure. She is the embodiment of what beauty is to him. In her arms he is completely secure the epitome of masculinity to her. This is the design. This is the gift. No, no Saturday morning regrets. Naked, unashamed. And I know that's not everyone's experience. But that is, that is the design for good from God. The second thing we see is it's to be enjoyed. Like there is some element of, of practice to that, right? It's something that we get to do. Believe it or not, the Bible paints a pretty decent case that while the purpose of sex at, at its basic level from the beginning is fruitful multiplication of God's glory, that happens through a unifying, delightful act of joyful intimacy. It's all over Scripture. Scripture. In a minute, I'm going to read uh, just a, a passage from Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Maybe it's, it's called either, but like, man, you should read that this week. It is wild, right? And it is mostly from like the vantage point of the woman talking about like they're, they're not married, they're not able to be, but then they are, and it's like you just can't believe that that stuff is in the Bible, for real, um, God designed the means to multiply as an opportunity to connect with and enjoy one another in a unique and beautiful way. Don't believe me? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2 through 7. This is him talking. He says, and some of the analogies are just hilarious. You should read it. It's so good. He says, As a lily among brambles, whatever a bramble is, so is my love among the young women. She says... As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with, wait for it, raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love as many are who eat raisins. <laughs> I'm ruining the moment. His, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. That paints a pretty delightful image of what this is supposed to be. But, but then look at the wisdom from Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul who's, who's single, right? He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, so he's, he's writing to the Corinthians about something that they wrote to him and he's kind of changing subject. He's going through, and whenever you see kind of in the New Testament, usually a new paragraph starting with the word concerning, he's like addressing issues. So concerning what you said to me, and this is what you said to me, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they said. So no sex for any man with any woman. And he's like, not exactly. And this is what he says. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife in each woman her own husband. Now you might think, well, that's pretty simple. But here's the thing. like, Prostitution was really common in this day. And, and Jewish law instructed men to have sex with their wives. And I know what many of you are thinking. Like, I think you misspoke. I think the law would force the women to have sex with the men. And I didn't misspeak. The law stated that the man must have sexual relations with his wife. And why would that be? Well, because often the, woman, the, the women culturally were just political com- commodities. So, so a, a wedding would be something to secure land or some type of family name or, or whatever. It was a political thing, more than you know the idea of like soulmates or whatever. It wasn't even like that. So, so the man went elsewhere for those services. Paul goes on. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Now, I didn't know what that word meant. It's actually, it's not sexual rights, it's marriage rights. Conjugal rights are actually marriage rights, often referring to as as sex. And likewise, the wife to her husband goes both ways. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And many of you see the patriarchy, right? Like, that's why I don't, right? For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. See, when viewed through the harsh realities of sin in this world, when when viewed as as dominance and, and power plays, this sounds terrible. But when viewed through God's design, it's beautiful. And and also it sets the relationship bar for marriage really high. Like who you marry, it really matters. When two become one, with honor, with love, with gentleness, with respect, you're giving yourself to another. God esteems the value of women in a culture that didn't. This would have been a liberal teaching that a woman has rights to her own man, and yet God cares for both men and women, desires, and he creates a relationship set apart to provide for those who marry. And to be clear, as I said, Paul says that he wishes all of you would be single as he is, but do what you have to do. (laughs) That's what he says. He goes on, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, For a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. So he's saying like you can fast as as people fast food. I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm just going to pray. You can fast sexual interactions with your spouse. But he says, then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, sin has stained creation. And it, and it includes in that our sexuality. There are two ditches that kind of like seem to be in play here. One is, is demand and one is neglect. It is not good to have sex with a woman. That's, that's what the, the Corinthian Christians appear to have adopted, their view of sexuality. And, and Paul refutes that. He says this, and there should be a slide for this up here. God designed marriage... As the place for the expression of human sexuality. Sex within marriage has both relational and spiritual benefits. It also has the practical benefit of reducing the temptation to engage in sexual sin. It is relational. It is emotional. It is spiritual. It is physical. And as practically as I can be, I want to say a couple things about that. Emotional connection stirs physical intimacy. And some of you say, amen and amen. I've been trying to tell that for years. Emotional connection stirs physical intimacy. Duh. But also, physical intimacy cultivates emotional connection. Everyone is wired differently. And both of those things are important. And there's ebb and flow. And and some couples may be more easily gravitate towards physical passion and others towards emotional connection. And it is the commitment of of, uh, one to another that kind of absorbs those seasons or whatever that is. But it is important for husband and wife to communicate Everything, right? Talk about everything, but regarding sex, it's important to communicate desires to make things more enjoyable and and also to understand that there may be different desires that are healthy to talk through. And some of those desires may be completely unrealistic. And some of those may be realistic expectations. And, And I'm not solving your problems today. I'm just exposing your problems today right like if you're married or you're you're in a relationship where these things are involved then you should talk after this right aim to meet your spouse in their desires especially in ways that only you can provide like i imagine there are relationships where one spouse withholds sex because they're not stirred emotionally I imagine there are maybe even in the same marriage relationships where one spouse may withhold emotional energy or emotional intimacy because they aren't stirred physically. In marriage, you are not your own. So what Paul is saying is withholding whatever ain't the play. That's what he's saying. You will be sexually dissatisfied. In your life, you will be sexually dissatisfied. In your life, you will be emotionally dissatisfied. Even in marriage, both of those things are true. He won't be as thoughtful as you like and she won't be as whatever as you hope. It's what you do with that. It's where you turn as you process those feelings that invite you to walk in the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Self control, or you walk in the flesh, bitterness, resentment, and none of those other things. And you may think that your partner is the problem, but I would say, if you think that your partner is the problem, maybe they are, but but I would first look inward and I would say, How are things with me and Jesus? Am I looking for my spouse? Am I looking for my dating partner to give me things to make me whole in a way that only Christ can do? Man, there's, there's, there's room for a lot of this to go wrong, which is why Paul cautions, and he says, stop playing manipulative scorekeeping games. Understand that sex is spiritual and emotional and physical. Be aware how Satan works and don't give him even a glance to work in areas of vulnerability. See, traditionally, not always, right? If you're an outlier, that is fine. But traditionally, men are more vulnerable in visual, physical ways and women more vulnerable in emotional ways. Right, And so if you think of the uh, affairs that you've seen, uh, the situations of adultery, whether you've been in or, or others that you know have been in, what happens is, is there's unmet desire for sex or unmet desire for emotional connection and, and, or unmet desire for fill in the blank. And, and that, that desire, that void becomes more important than, des- than the desire to walk with Jesus to obey the Lord, to obey God, and to walk with your spouse. So Paul's saying, quit playing games, listen, serve one another in your unique desires and gifts. And if I could give a quick summary thought uh, to point to, there are three real quick things that I would say. Sex is not to be demanded. Yeah, sex is not to be demanded, period. If you thought that's what I read, you misread Again, like so many things we've talked about in the last month, these are commands for you to live. These are not commands for you to demand. You may lay down your life in a particular way, and your spouse may not meet you in the same way. So walk in the Spirit and demonstrate self-control. The second thing, it is unwise to withhold sex within marriage. It's unwise, that's what he's saying. Or it is unwise to withhold emotional connection. It is unwise to withhold time together. It is fill in the blank. Know your spouse. Because of desire and temptation, study and know and listen to your spouse and serve them. And if you're, you're unmarried, be creative in your pursuits. When you have a relationship With someone. Be creative in your pursuits in a way that that values them and honors them and respects them and builds them up and lifts them up and pursues them without the use of your body. And if you're married, don't stop pursuing holistically healthy and passionate outlets to express your love to one another. And third, no spouse is responsible for the sin of the other spouse. Like, this is a warning to be a watchman or a watchwoman, to be on guard. It's not an excuse to justify your sin of any kind. There there isn't anything that you need to overcome the lust, the temptation, or the appeal of this world that you don't already have in the finished work of Jesus in the present work of the Spirit, in the complete work of Scripture, along with others in the church fighting the same fights alongside you. There's nothing that you lack that would prevent you from following and obeying and walking with Jesus purely. You lack nothing. No matter your situation. And the last thing is this. As God has designed... There is some level of prohibition. There are things off limits, right? And so we read in First Thessalonians chapter 4, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That word is, is what, it, it's, it's us being conformed to the image of Jesus, and, and we are sanctified uh, progressively as we live our life with Jesus, connect to the local church, etc., Like all of our life, we're being conformed or sanctified. This is what he says, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What he's saying is you don't have to live like the world. Like stop living like the world. We are not of the world. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We are are being redeemed, being made new, being called out of. See, sexual immorality, I'll throw a definition up here, is a concept found in the Bible that refers to any sexual activity outside the boundaries of a consensual, monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. Emphasis on any sexual activity, emphasis on outside of marriage or prior to marriage, emphasis on one man, one woman, woman. Emphasis on man, woman. The New Testament explicitly ex- excludes sex before or outside of marriage, adultery. In it. It's very clear about what that is. Homosexuality, pornography, fantasy. You say, fantasy? What harm is there in that? Much harm. And Jesus said it this way. He says, you've heard it said, like, don't kill people. But I say don't hate them. Because if you hate them in your heart, you're a murderer. And you say, well, that's great. But then he says this. He says, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said. But I tell you, if you lust in your mind and your heart, you're an adulterer. See, God's word redeems sex from the broken ways of the world. Let me show you some of the broken ways of the world. I'm going to read a song that I won't sing, all right? My lover's got humor. She's the giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak, she's the last true mouthpiece. Every Sunday's getting more bleak. A fresh poison each week. Quote, We were born sick. You've heard them say. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. Amen, amen, amen. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. Tell you my sins and you can sharpen your knife. Offer me the deathless death, good God. Let me give you my life. Take me to church. In June 2019, Hosier explained that the intention behind this song was to write something that that was a kind of celebration of sexuality. The song contains sexual under- overtones, Hosier elaborated that an act of sex is one of the most human things, but an organization like the church, say through its doctrine, would undermine humanity by successfully teaching shame about sexual orientation. The song is about asserting yourself and reclaiming your humanity through an act of love. Or, or as the kids say, That is trash. It's literally an anthem decreeing that we should worship the creation over the creator. Sex is God, or at least an act of worship to the God of self. And if sex is your savior or, or the bedroom is your temple, you have no savior at all. No matter what you thought 40 minutes ago, you get to determine who and what you will call God. Right now. It doesn't matter where this meets you. It doesn't matter all of the stuff. Like you get to determine who or what you will call God and then you get to figure out what it looks like to worship him. And so you might say, well, why did God design it this way? He tells us. And finally, I'm going to get to our focal passage today, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So he's saying that we know that this body will be washed away, right? But even so, it has a purpose because it it will be raised up. Uh, One says it this way, since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. And again, Tim Keller uh, in his book on marriage says, sex with a prostitute is wrong because every sex act is a unifying act. There's no category for giving your body to one to whom you will not also give your whole life. Or C.S. Lewis says, Sex without marriage is like tasting food without swallowing it. Paul goes on to say, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, or do you not know? Like this is, and this is the power for us to live free. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of all who are in Christ. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought With a price, so glorify God in your body. Man. Like that's that's the essence of what we're talking about. That that you have a body that is that's for the Lord, that's set apart, that is that is spared by him for him at a great cost. You are so valuable. You are worth literally the body broken and the blood spilt of Jesus himself. That's how much he cares about you and your body. And so I just want to hit on three real quick things. What, What all of this kind of shows us. For those who are in Christ, your body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for that. Sex doesn't define you. It doesn't even control you. Your, your sexual identity, that's not even what defines you. In a world that, that screams that it does, that that's the most important thing that you are, that's not true. Your body is not meant for that. The second thing, if Christ is pure and you are one with him, you have every tool necessary to live redeemed for his glory. He washes us clean he makes us new, and you might be overwhelmed by, like, I don't even know where to start from this moment forward. Start with your heart. Commit yourself to him. Know the love that he has for you no matter what, and let that flow out of you in the way that you live your life. If, if you never experience sex on earth, you're, you're no less there's nothing about you that's less than, than any other person. Christ is enough. And one day he will sustain and satisfy by his mere presence near us for all time. And the last thing is this. Because your body is the temple of God, you are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Man. The band can come on up. We get to respond However, however we want. We can sit right where you are, you can listen to these songs, you can pray, you can stand up, you can sing, you can go over there, you can pray uh, at that prayer bench if you need to kneel by yourself, you can pray back by that tree. Uh, my wife and I will be back at the end of this aisle. We would love to pray with you. There will be some people over there. You can respond if you're in Christ. Man, we get to be taken to this table that demonstrates our value and worth despite anything that we've done to this point in our life. What that means is his body was broken, his blood was spilled, so that we might have life, that we might be in his presence for all time. If you're not in Christ, that's not for you. If you are, and this table is open for you, we have some, some reflection questions. We get to reflect and repent Receive and respond and rejoice at what the Spirit is doing inside of us. God, thank you for these people, for this room, for your word, for for your goodness. God, I know it meets us in different places. Would you send us out, built up, not torn down? Would you remind us of who we are in you, no matter what, who you're making us to be? Would you give us the power? by your finished work and by your your present spirit by your your final word would you give us the power to live free to use our bodies to give you all the glory in Jesus name amen